Welcome to the Saving Grace Adventist Church Sermon Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed by the Word of God. Topic titled The First Gospel. Uh, we spoke about the fall of Lucifer last night and the entrance of sin in the universe. The great controversy, my friends, is an ongoing battle. It is war that is raged between Christ and Satan. And I want you to know that that war will continue until the end of the millennium. When Christ returns, there will be a pause. And after a thousand years, the war will continue, but for a season. One writer put it this way, and this is found in the book Desire of Ages. Desire of Ages, the writer says, Our little world is the lesson book of the universe. Write this down. If you have your pen or your paper with you or even a pencil, write it down. Desire of Ages, page 19. Our little world is the lesson book of the universe. God's wonderful purpose of grace, mystery of redeeming love, is the theme into which angels desire to look. And it will be their study throughout endless ages. Both the redeemed and the unfallen beings will find in the cross of Christ their science and their song. It will be seen that the glory shining in the face of Jesus is the glory of self-sacrificing love. End quote. Desire of Ages, page 19. I'd also like to give you a listing of our upcoming topics. And I want you to make a very special effort uh, to come out each night. We start at 7.30. Tonight we will continue the series. Uh, tonight... Our series will be entitled, our subject rather will be entitled, The Problem of Sin. Is sin a problem? Well, it's a problem for me. And I'm sure you can uh, say the same thing. Sin is a problem. Uh, the problem of sin. Uh, the subcategory is contamination. And then Sunday night, tomorrow night, we will talk about the law. The schoolmaster taking us to Christ. Then that all-important topic, the one we love so much, grace, marvelous grace. We'll talk about that on Wednesday. Wednesday night at 7.30 or Wednesday evening at 7.30, we'll talk about uh, grace. Then we'll talk about the remedy. Any idea who the remedy is or what the remedy is? Jesus, it is the remedy. He is the remedy. Then we'll talk about it is finished after that. And then we'll talk about the path to the cross where Jesus spent some time in Gethsemane. Then we will deal with it is finished again, part two. Christ said it is finished twice. We will see both as we go through the series. And then we will end, we will end this subject, refresh 2016, discovering the path to the cross. We will end with the gift. And God has a gift for all of us. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. It is easy to find. It is the book of beginnings. If you can't find Genesis, you've got a problem. We will pray for you. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, a very well-known passage of Scripture. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Verse 15 is actually called Proto-Evangelium. We'll talk about that later. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto the serpent, he's addressing the serpent here, Because thou hast done this, 
Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Thou art cursed above all cattle, he says, and above every beast of the field. Why? Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Verse 15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, that is the woman, and thou, he was addressing the serpent, thou shall bruise his heel. Our message this morning, the first gospel, the first ever gospel recorded in the Holy Writ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I ask you now to please let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength, my strong tower, my rock, and my redeemer. Amen. The statement itself is very familiar. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And I will put enmity. That word enmity there means opposition. It means aversion. It means war between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head. That is the seed of the woman. That is the descendants of Abraham. That is none other than Christ himself will bruise the head of the serpent. And thou, the serpent, will just give him a slight little bruise on his heel. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is in fact the historical record of the continuation of the war that started in heaven. If you were here last night, you'd have seen we went into details concerning the nature of this war. It started in heaven between Lucifer and his supporters against the government of God and Christ. We learn that this was not a physical war. There are people who will tell you this, that Lucifer raged a physical war against Christ and his government. This is untrue. It is not the case. This wasn't a physical war, as some believe, but rather it was a battle of ideas, of philosophies and viewpoints concerning the character of Christ and the nature of his government. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, clears this up. If you have any doubt as to whether or not it was physical or not, the answer is found here. 2 Corinthians, 4, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down what? Imaginations. Where do you have imaginations? Where are they found? In your head. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, which is the, the knowledge or it is saying here what God is or the predication of God, information concerning the character of God. And bringing into captivity every what? Thought. Where are thoughts generated? In our mind. To the obedience of Christ. This, my friends, is indeed a battle or a war over our mind. It is a battle over our mind to get us to believe either truth or lies. Truth, my friends, that will lead to obedience and eternal life. Lies that will lead to disobedience and eventually death. 
My question this morning is, what do you believe? This is serious. This is serious because as this war intensifies, the battlefield shifted. We see this in Genesis and took center, center stage here on planet Earth. This is serious because now this war involves you and me. Let me emphasize here that we are not detached spectators. We are involved participants in this war against Satan and the host of darkness. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 says, And the dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. He's got two names. Satan and the devil, he's got a multiplicity of names, which deceiveth, the Bible says, what? The whole world. He was cast out, where? Into the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. Here again, we see the perpetration of lies told by the devil. Because if we see here, the Bible says that he deceiveth the whole world to the extent that the Bible is now reminding us that Satan is here, and he's here to stay for a while. He is cast out, and he's here in our world. That might be very bad news for some, but thank God we don't have to worry about that. For where sin abound, our Bible tells us that grace doth much more abound. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we don't have to worry we don't have to fret. We don't because we have the assurance that no weapon formed against us will prosper. He deceiveth the whole world, the Bible says. May I suggest here, we're speaking about the world in its entirety. Those who are outside of the church and those who are inside of the church. We will see here, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. He is cast out into the world and his angels are cast out with him right here on planet earth. Why? Let us look briefly at the fall of Lucifer in heaven in order to understand some very important details preceding the creation of planet earth. We spoke about that a little last night and it is important for us to go back a little and deal with some of it. Let us look at some of these recorded lies uh, perpetrated by Satan himself. Uh, and we have an account of this on the screen so you can look at it. Uh, first lie, Patriarchs and Prophets records this, uh, page 36. In heaven, Lucifer had convinced himself that Christ was no different than himself, that Christ was just another created being and could not possibly be the God of creation. Here it's paraphrased. Uh, write this down, Patriarchs and Prophets, page uh, 36. Uh, then he told, number two, that is the, the first allegation against God that we have that is recorded. Uh, then we have here the second one. He told the angels that they were deluded slaves, that they were deceived and they were slaves. They were, they were like puppets. And God was the puppeteer. He was pulling the strings and he was making them do whatever he wanted them to do and that the angels, they had no freedom of choice. That God was working behind the scenes controlling them through his laws and other methodologies and other methods. So he says here that they didn't have freedom of choice. They were not given freedom. Thirdly, he told the angels that if they did wrong, 
that God would not forgive them. Suggesting here that God is not a forgiving God. Lastly here he told, he said that God required submission and obedience from his creatures and had, de and had declared that while the creator exacted self-denial from all others, he himself, God, Christ, practiced no denial, self-denial. He made no sacrifice. In other words, this is what Satan was saying. He was saying, in simple terms, there in heaven, that God is not the creator. Secondly, he was saying that God does not give freedom of choice. He was also saying that he was not forgiving. And God, he's asking you to make sacrifices, but certainly he is not going to make any. These are the allegations against Christ and his government. This was what was going on in heaven before this world was created. It caused war. Could it be that the creation of planet Earth then was God's divine and righteous method of refuting these allegations made by Satan and lies against the government of God? Could it be? I want you to think about it. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 41. The writer says, Lucifer, as an anointed cherub, had been highly exalted. He was greatly loved by the heavenly beings. And his influence over them was strong. They looked to him for advice. He was in the direct presence of God. He was full of wisdom. And he would bring back to the other angels information. And he would explain this to them. They trusted him because of his wisdom. He was honest. He had never lied before. He was loving and kind. He displayed the character of God. My friends... At a point in time, Lucifer was trustworthy. He could have been considered like Christ himself. He was a covering cherub, a light bearer like Christ. He was trusted as Christ was trusted there in heaven. So his influence over the other angels was strong. It's like someone who you are affectionately close to and you trust. Perhaps a member of your immediate family, a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, a child, someone that you trust. God's government included not only the inhabitants of heaven, but of all the worlds that he had created. The writer here says, and Lucifer had concluded that if he could carry the angels of heaven with him in rebellion, he could carry also the other worlds. Lucifer wanted to control, control the entire universe and leave God alone. And so then, he would tie the hands of God, he would control the entire universe, and if God wanted to get rid of him, he would have to destroy the whole universe. What a plan, what a plot. Guys, evil. It says here, his power to deceive was very great. May I suggest this morning, if you're sleeping, wake up, because it has not diminished his power to deceive today is just as great, maybe even more so than it was then. The writer says here, all his acts were so clothed with mystery 
that it was difficult to disclose to the angel the true nature of his work until fully developed. It could not be made to appear the evil that it was. His disaffection could not be seen to be rebellion. In other words, you know some of us sometimes when we, we don't like something, it is quite obvious. It's obvious because, you know, we say it in such an arrogant way that you can tell that we're upset and we're dissatisfied. You can tell in many cases when we're angry, even when we're saying we're okay, just our body language, the tone of our voice and the words that we use shows that we're not okay. This wasn't the case with Satan. He was upset and he made it look like he was perfectly fine. The writer says in another account that when the angels knelt to worship Christ as Lord and Lord Supreme, he knelt also. Not like some of us today. We walk up. We don't like what the pastor is saying. We pack our bags and we walk right out of the church. No, he, he stayed there. He was quiet. He said amen. But he was working. His heart was evil. He was rebellious. Even the very loyal angels could not fully discern his character or see to what his work was leading. Angels who excel in wisdom and strength couldn't figure him out. They were still sympathetic towards him. Great controversy. It's on your screen. It says, Satan had made it appear that he himself was seeking to promote the good of the universe. The true character of the usurper and his real object must be understood by all. He must have time to manifest himself by his wicked works. And sometimes we have people who profess to be godly, church-going people, Seventh-day Adventists. Give them time. Just give them time. Bible tells us that the wheat and the tear, let them grow together until the day of harvest. Sometimes what looks like wheat, we will discover that it is tares. And what sometimes appear as tear, eventually turn out to be wheat. And so let them grow together until the day of harvest. Let us look at these allegations one at a time. Allegation number one, Christ could not be the creator. He looked like us. He looked like an angel. In fact, he was called Michael the archangel. He looks just like us. He couldn't be special. He couldn't be the creator of the world. Ah, what a big mistake. 2,000 years ago, the same thing happened. The God of the universe came as a babe, born in a manger, wasn't flamboyant, grew up in Nazareth. What good thing will you come out of Nazareth? The desire of ages was here. The Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him. Not, couldn't be the creator of the universe. Wasn't flamboyant. By the way, I'll tell you this. I want to believe that he wasn't particularly handsome either. As the Bible alludes, his beauty was in his character. He came to reveal to the world true godliness. And so, my friends, 
The same mistake that Satan made is the same mistake our world made. The same mistake. Not seeing him. And you know, I thought to myself, and I was sharing this with some of the elders at my church uh, not too long ago. And I asked an important question. I said, what if Christ were to come here? Uh, and let's use this hypothetically. Uh, this church, Save and Grace Church. And he would hang out here for, let's say, a month. We would, we would attend our services every Sabbath. Would we know it's Christ? W would we really know? I mean, he would eat with us. He would talk with us. Do you know that we, were so we are supposed to know that? That if Christ were to materialize himself and come here and hang out with us for a month, we should say, hey, you can't trick me. You are, you are Christ. His character and his behavior. You, you look, look, look at this, my friends. It is absolutely ridiculous. He came into this world. He did not sin once. It was obvious that Christ was different. Come on now, let's be real. He wasn't the same as all the other kids. His body language, the things that he did, was remarkably different. Yet they couldn't figure it out. They were deceived, the lies. They were, they were looking for a king to take them out of Roman bondage. And they were not looking for the beauty of character. And so many times, we make the same mistake. Christ, he couldn't be. He's Michael the archangel. He's not the creator that created me and the whole universe Satan was alluding to. And so we're going to the book of Genesis to refute this. The book of Genesis, my friends, is certainly one of the most important books that has ever been written. The book of Genesis gives us vital information concerning the origin of the universe, the origin of life, the origin of all things. There in the book of Genesis, specifically so, chapters 1 and 2, we find the origin of the universe, the origin of law, the origin of order and complexity, the origin of the solar system, the atmosphere and hydrosphere, the origin of life, plant life and animals, etc., the origin of man we find here in the book of Genesis, the origin of marriage, and the origin of the Sabbath, at least here on planet Earth. Make no attempt, make no mistake to say that we evolved from apes. The book of Genesis clearly tells us that we were created. Tells us that God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us this. The very first book, first chapter, first verse tells us that God is creator. And then the first book, first chapter, Last verse concludes on the same thing. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, everything that he had made. And behold, it was more than good. It was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Genesis emphasizes emphatically that God is the creator of all things. And the Bible supports this fact. That God through Jesus Christ created everything. Very, very familiar passage of scripture. We went through this last night. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. In the beginning was the word, and the word was 
with God. And the word was God. The word is who? The word is Christ. He is the living word. What we have as our Bible is the written word. Christ is the living word. Verse 2 says the same was in the beginning with God. They shared friendship and companionship and a love relationship together. Before everything else was created, the son and the father enjoyed their relationship of love together. All things were made by him, that is Christ. And without him was not anything made that was made. He created everything. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So we see here that after the earth and animals and vegetable life had been called into existence, we see the crowning act of God's creation. Evolution, right? No. Creation. The creation of man. Man was brought upon the stage of this earth. By God himself. The Bible tells us he formed man from the dust of the ground. Satan had disputed the supremacy of Christ. And now he sees Christ, the son of God, maybe kneeling down as he formed Adam first from the dust of the ground. And then Satan watches as he sees Christ, his enemy, breathe into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life. And he sees Adam Becoming a living soul. He watches this with intensity. What message was Christ sending to Satan? That he wasn't like him? Perhaps Satan tried to do the same thing too, but it didn't work. He sees now that indeed, the one that he thought was just Michael the archangel was in fact the creator. He watches him and he looks and he says, whoa. He sees him create the heavens and the earth. Then he sees him, he's watching with intensity. Because remember now, he was not allowed into the counsels of God. So he didn't know what was taking place. He see him forming something. You know, what, what is he doing there? And he, and he looks, he's getting dirt and he's, he's turning it into, into mud and he's, he's making a body and he's probably laughing to himself. <laughs> Look at that. And then he sees him breathing into the, the nostrils of Adam and he, he becomes a living soul. Notice here that God was sending a message through Christ to Satan when he created Adam in his image. Notice here that when Adam was created, that God also gave him the power to procreate. Lucifer and the other angels didn't have that. In other words, you will not find baby angels. They just don't exist. Angels were all created, but here it is. That Adam was given a unique ability, just like that of Christ himself, to be able to procreate. Now, we can't create, but we can procreate. A man and a woman, you know, come together. Not man and man or woman and woman. Man and a woman, uh, uh, they have the ability to, to create offspring or to procreate and bring forth offspring uh, through the power of God, of course. Also, man had dominion over the entire world that was given to him. He was sending a message to Satan here. And then mankind, Adam and Eve, they were told to be fruitful and multiply. Look at this. In the book Education, the pen of inspiration says this, that when Adam came forth from the creator's hand, he bore in his physical, mental, and spiritual nature a likeness of his maker. 
So God created Adam just like himself. God created man in his own image, Genesis 1.27. And it was his purpose that the longer man lived, the more fully he should reveal this image. And so when man was created, he was sinless. But man also needed to develop, and we'll get to that later. The more fully, the more fully reflect the glory of his creator, I guess that's the end of the statement, uh, his purpose, and, and it was his purpose that the longer man lived, the more fully he should reveal his image, the more fully reflect the glory of the creator. All his faculties were capable of development. If you wonder why we get better as one generation moves into another. You ever notice it? Because God created us with the ability to, to increase in not only in wisdom and strength, but also in likeness of who God is to the degree where we will become like God in character. It is possible for us to be like him. The Bible says that when we see him, you know, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What was he saying to Satan here? Remember, Lucifer had despised him. He had hated Christ. Now Christ creates a planet that will be entirely populated with people like Christ. Now I want you to understand that this wasn't retaliation or he was getting revenge on Satan. That wasn't it. There's a reason for this. And we will, we will discover this as we move into another allegation. Allegation number two. Allegation number two says that God does not give freedom of choice. Our first parents, patriarchs and prophets says, though created innocent and holy, were not placed beyond the possibility of wrongdoing. God made them free moral agents capable of ap appreciating the wisdom and benevolence of his character and the justice of his requirements and with full liberty or freedom to yield or to withhold obedience. This is a reality. This is a truism. Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 and 17 declares this. And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God might have created man without the power to transgress his law. This is patriarchs and prophets. He might have withheld the hand of Adam from touching the forbidden fruit. But in that case, man would have been not a free moral agent, as Satan was alluding to, but a mere automation. Without freedom of choice, his obedience would not have been voluntary, voluntary, but force. There'd have been no development of character. Such a course, the writer says here, continuing in Patriarchs and Prophets, such a course would have been contrary to God's plan in dealing with inhabitants of other worlds. It would have been unworthy of a man as an intelligent being and would have sustained Satan's charges of God. So we're not making this up. Satan was actually saying that God was the puppeteer playing us 
and we don't have freedom of choice. My friends, we need to pause here for a moment and get this right. The proper exercise of the will as it relates to freedom of choice is vitally necessary for both spiritual and intellectual development and growth. It is. It is crucial. It is absolutely necessary and vital. This is why parents should teach their children to choose for themselves. At a very early age, they should be encouraged to make decisions. They should understand the value of making the right decision and the cost of making erroneous ones. Now, we've got a problem here. So many of us are from the islands. Not all of us, uh, but, but many of us are from the islands. And we're guilty of raising our kids the wrong way. We force our kids to do what we want them to do. He, 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 listen, when I was growing up, you need to eat that. Why? why no, I, don't, I say so. And if you don't, you're going to get a spanking. And so our kids grow up with the wrong intent. You need to brush your teeth because mommy says so. And so now the child is now 54. And one of his friends asked him, hey, 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 Charlie, why do you brush your teeth? My mom told me to. He doesn't understand. Hey, you don't brush your teeth, you'll have cavities. It is insanitary. And you'll, uh, you'll probably end up with dentures if you're lucky. We force our kids to do what we want them to do, and we don't lead them, we don't talk to them, and allow them, once they reach the age of accountability, to make decisions and choices for themselves. So we grow up doing things only because we were told to, and we do not understand the concepts or its ramifications. We should create an environment, my friends, for children, Young people, children, and even adults alike should learn to choose and to understand the importance of choosing rightly. My son, uh, he is 14 years of age. In the morning when I get up and I do my devotion, he understands that he has to make a decision. And this is what I do. I ask him each morning to have his own personal devotion. And sometimes I'll leave him for a while, and I'll not let him see me having my, so I wake up uh, sometimes very early in the morning. Uh, I get up about five, six, and I start reading uh, the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. It gives me a head start, keeps me going throughout the day. And you know, this is the most interesting thing. I allow him to make the decision for himself whether or not this is something that he wants to do. And I tell him, listen, well, son, you know, if you don't do it, it's a bad thing, you know, and it is n you're not hurting Jesus. You're going to hurt yourself. And sometimes we have to refrain from spanking. And we have to be consistent, firm, not abusive, but intelligent in our decision-making process as to how we raise our kids. We find today that some of us as adults, because we did not get the proper training, we can't even say no. Because we were not taught how to develop the proper use of the will, we can't say no. So, so this is what we will do sometimes. We will say yes. You say, Elder Harding, uh, can you pick me up and take me to the grocery store? 
and I know I can't make it, but I can't say no, so I'll say yes. And guess what? I won't show up. We have not taught our children, and consequently, we grow up not understanding how to properly use our will. Little or no strength of character. Even Jesus, my friend, when he was here as a babe, did not have a perfect character. Did you know that? Everyone is quiet now. When Christ was here as a babe, he did not have a perfect character. He was sinless. Listen to this. Desire of Ages, page 762. The law requires righteousness. A righteous life. A perfect character. And this man has not to give. He cannot meet the claims of God's holy law. But Christ, the writer says, coming to the earth as man lived a holy life and developed a perfect character. Character is not given. It must be formed. It is not a gift that you wake up one morning and you get it. It must be developed. Christ developed a perfect character. And he was perfect. So my friends, the tree of knowledge of good and evil was a test of obedience and a tool for the development of the will. It was placed in the midst of the garden. Not in the corner, in the midst. Is it interesting to note here that it didn't have a barricade around it? There wasn't a fence around it. They had to develop enough willpower to say no. It was there for a test and for Adam and Eve to develop their character so that they will be able to become strong and know how to say no and how to say yes. Satan perverted it. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible tells us, Now the serpent was more subtle than any other beast of the field, which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, that word yea means yes. Hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Let's pause there for a minute. I want to ask you a question this morning. Is that what God said? Think about it for a minute. Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. This guy's slick. Real slick, sneaky here. He was asking Eve, was God trying to starve you that you shouldn't eat of every tree of the garden? Uh, we are often led to believe that the first lie recorded in the Bible is uh, thou shalt not surely die. It's the first big lie. But the first disguised lie in the Bible is this. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Yea, that is yes, affirmative, for sure. Hath God said, ye shall not, and he, and he was saying it rhetorically, making it look like it was a question. But it was really a statement in disguise. Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. That's not what God says. Let's look at what God said. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Is that different from what Satan said? Absolutely. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, 
Thou shalt not eat of it, for the day thou eatest of it, thou shalt surely die. I told you last night, I'm telling you again, the devil is a liar. He just can't tell the truth, even asking a simple question. Next, we will go to the big lie, the one that we're most familiar with. Genesis chapter 3, verses 2 and 4. And the woman said unto the serpent, Ye may eat of the fruits of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said. So he's telling uh, Satan here, the serpent, uh, what God told her and she understood. Uh, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, straight out, straight out. Okay, well, you answered the other one correctly, but I'm going to tell you what the answer of the second one is. Ye shall not surely die. Is that a lie? You're not sure? Is that a lie? Yes, it is a lie. Uh, is Adam and Eve alive today? No. Are they dead? Yes. So they die. Did they die immediately is another thing. Spiritually they did, but they did not, they did not die immediately physically. Satan desired to make it appear that this knowledge of good mingled with evil, evil would be a blessing. And that in forbidding them to take of the tree, the fruit of the tree, God was withholding great good. He urged that it was because of its wonderful properties. He's, 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 he's negotiating with, with Eve now. He's telling her, listen, you know, you, you've got it wrong. You know, it's, it's not as, as, as your creator is telling you here. And he's calling him your creator here. He saw what he did. He urged that it was because of its wonderful properties of imparting wisdom and power that it was the same fruit that had given the serpent the gift of speech. At that time, the serpent couldn't speak. In fact, the serpent had wings at that time, and it was kind of like burnished gold, one writer says. And so Eve ate of the fruit, and so we find that she gave of it also to her husband who was with her. And they both ate of the fruit, and death was pronounced upon humanity. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7 tells us this plainly. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it looked appeasing. It was pleasant to the eyes. It looked, my friends, like curry goat and oxtail and rice and peas. I'm telling you, it looked like Escovich fish. I am telling you this. But it was a test for them to say no for their... You know, let me tell you this. You see the first time you say no, it becomes easier in saying no. Did you know that? Is that character development? Absolutely. It was there so that they would become more and more and more like Christ. Uh, but they didn't. So the eyes of both of them were open. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed themselves fig leaves and made themselves apron. The Bible tells us that as a result of this, as a result of this, my friend, death was pronounced upon humanity. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death was passed, my friends, upon all men. The moment we were born we begin to die. 
it is a sad reality. I'll tell you this. You know, the first time I, I saw gray hair peeking out, I thought I was going to die. No way, I said. I said, I got to find a way to stop this. It, 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 the reality that I'm aging and that I'm going to be old and that I'm going to die at some point in time if Christ does not return is frightening, my friends. Make no mistake about this. And we see some older folks, those who are aged, uh, trying to resist this. Uh, they look young and they dress young, feeling as though they're young, but we're not. We are going to die if Christ does not return in a specific or given time. This is the fate of humanity because of Adam's transgression, because our predecessor failed to exercise the proper use of the will. How tragic. Scares us sometimes. You know, you know, when you get to my age, you know, you wonder, you know, sometimes things don't feel right, you know, you, and you start wondering, you know, you feel a little pain here, and you wonder, man, is it cancer, man, you know, is it, uh, you know, something, I'm, I'm telling you, you start wondering, and your mind starts, you know, and you, you, you're not young and energetic anymore, and you, you know, is it diabetes, and you start thinking all kind of thing, and, you know, you're walking in the morning, and you're out of breath, and you're saying, am I going to have a heart attack, you know, listen, this thing is serious. It's not a joke. Tragedy is because of improper choice, my friends. We're given the same opportunity today to make the right choice and to reverse it and have eternal life. This is not a joke. Let me, let me tell you this. All that happened through Adam can be reversed through Jesus Christ. By one man sin into the world, righteousness is given to all through Jesus Christ. He, my friends, he said no when it was appropriate to say no. And yes at the right time when he should say yes. He did it so that we can have eternal life. Let us look in conclusion here at the seriousness of this problem. Genesis chapter 3 verses 8 to 10. It says... And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And God called Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And Adam answered and said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This is puzzling to me, my friends. Adam and Eve, they had a wonderful relationship with Christ, the all-loving Christ. My question is, uh, the relationship that they had with Christ seemed now to be severed because now he's hiding. And I believe that sin causes separation. It does. Uh, like in Genesis chapter 4, you know, and five were, you know, Cain, on account of his brother's obedience to God, was jealous, and he slew his brother. The Bible tells us that he departed from the presence of the Lord. It's, it's interesting here because now I'm, I'm puzzled because Christ asked a question to Adam that is startling, and it's, it's driving me crazy. He said here, and he said, who told thee? That thou was naked. 
Now, my friends, I have one question. Why did God ask him that? They were the only ones here. They're, they did not have any children yet. Why would Christ, who has no taint of dishonesty in him, ask, who told you you were naked? Is it possible that someone told him or them that they were naked? And if so, who could that be? And some may say, well, he said, Adam and not Eve. But Genesis chapter 5 and verse 2 says that their names were called Adam. They were both called Adam. Genesis 5, 2. Why were you afraid? This is interesting here because here we find the most loving being in the entire universe. Why would they be afraid of Christ on account of their sin? Now, I've asked this question before, and, and, and the answer that I got was that, well, they were guilty. Guilty of what? They had not sinned before. They didn't understand the ramifications of this. Why? Why? Could it be that they were told this by someone else? It's possible. You know, 1 John 4, verse 18 says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love does what? Cast it out. All fear. It does. Perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. Why were they afraid? Could it be that Satan told Adam and Eve that God would not forgive them? And that since he told them that in the day that they eat of the fruit, they shall surely die, and they were not then dead, that God would kill them. Could it be? In punishing them, could it be they were sore afraid? This brings us to our last allegation. We have four, but we will only do uh, allegation number three for the sake of time. Is he forgiven? Is God forgiven? And Satan was saying that he's not forgiven. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 26 and 25 and 26 says, I even I am the Lord that blotted out thy transgressions for mine own sake. And I will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. The writer says, let me plead together, declare thou, that thou mayest be justified. He is a good God. Daniel said to the Lord our God, belong mercies and forgiveness. Though we have rebelled against him. David says, I would rather fall into the hands of God than into the hands of man. For great are his mercies. God, my friends, is a forgiving God. So matter, no matter what we have done, the Bible tells that we must cast all our cares upon him for he careth for us and he will forgive us of our sins and in no way he will cast us out. Satan has ascribed to God all the evils to which is his. He has represented him as a God who delights in the sufferings of his creatures and who is revengeful it is Satan who originated the doctrine of eternal torment. Did you know that? And punishment. This is found in Christian teachings of Ellen G. White. Let's do allegation number four. He makes no sacrifice in his pot. First Corinthians 15 says, For since by man came death, by Christ also the resurrection of the dead 
For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Christ came, my friends, and offered himself as a sacrifice. He did. And this is the essence of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. That I will put enmity between thee and the woman. This is the first gospel. The first gospel here states that the seed of the woman, the descendant of Eve, Christ Jesus himself will die for the sins of humanity. It is called proto-evangelium. Proto, which actually means first. You know, when we say prototype, we mean the first of a type. Evangelium, which comes from evangelist or evangelism, means sharing the gospel. Proto-evangelium. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is the first gospel, my friends. It is the first good news that Christ would come and offer himself a sacrifice despite what Satan has been telling the universe. In conclusion, these words from great controversy. Satan lying charges against the divine character and government appeared in their true light. He had, he had accused God of seeking merely the exaltation of himself in requiring submission and obedience from his creatures. And he had declared that while the creator exacted self-denial from all others, he himself practiced no self-denial that Christ made no sacrifice. Now it is seen that for the salvation of a fallen and sinful race, the entire universe now sees the rule, ruler, the king of kings, bowing down, king of kings, coming to this planet. And he made the greatest sacrifice which love could make. The Bible tells us, no greater love hath this, hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. It was seen also that while Lucifer had opened the door for the entrance of sin, by the desire and honor for supremacy and self that Christ had in order to destroy sin, humbled himself and became my friends. Christ did this for us. He became obedient unto death. The Bible tells us that he loves us with an everlasting love. And it is with loving kindness that he have drawn us. I ask you today, my friends. Will you stand with me and rededicate your life to this wonderful, wonderful being, our Savior Jesus Christ? Will we recommit ourselves to him this morning? We will say, Jesus, please take my life. I try to give my life to you. Jesus, I have made promises and commitments. I have made resolutions. I have promised you that I'm going to walk the straight and narrow way only to end up as cords of sand. Jesus, can you take my life today? The record states that Jesus will not turn us down. He will give us his life so that we can be like him. I pray, my friends, that we will do that today. We will rededicate our lives to him today. And at some point, at some point throughout this series, may I suggest that if you feel so impressed, that you would like to give your life to Christ. That you, that, you, that you say, Jesus, take my life. I want to be baptized. And I want to be a part of your church. I want to be a part of your church so that I can tell others about the good news of what you have done for me. You know, one person says, one historian says that it is easier to die for the cause than to live for it. 
And so there are some who will say, well, he came here. He just offered himself so that he can die. This is not the case with Jesus Christ. We can see for the 33 years that he was here that he lived a life of, of submission. The record states in Desire of Ages, page 608, that Christ made no plans for himself. It says here that daily he would go to his father and he would submit himself and he would ask his father to tell him what his father's will would be for him for that day. In that upper room, the Bible tells us that when the disciples said, No, Lord, don't wash my feet. Jesus went down on his knees and he washed the feet of his disciples and says that if you don't do this, you have no part with me. We call that the ordinance of humility. He humbled himself. The record states that we likewise should do the same thing. Because as often as we do this, we do show the Lord's death until he comes. His entire life was a life of sacrifice. And he wants to give us his life. It is no small thing, my friend. It is no small thing that the creator of the universe offered himself for us. And we take that and throw it out the window. It is no small thing, the greatest being in the universe. I don't know how many planets they are. I don't know how many worlds, inhabitable worlds they are. I don't know if there are hundreds of thousands or even billions of other beings. I can tell you one thing for sure, that Jesus supersedes and excels them all. And he, Jesus, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation. I ask you, my friends, today, Will you give your life to that same Jesus? Will you rededicate yourself with me to start a new page, to start a new life? This is not just a serious because we want to have a crusade, because churches have crusade. We're doing this because we want to see a change here in this part of, of Florida, South Florida. We want to see a change. We want this church to be a lighthouse. We want the lives that will be generated from henceforth to change the people around. We want people to know that Jesus lived. We want to go out and say, come, let me introduce you to a man that told me all things. His name is Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me? I am going to rededicate my life today to Jesus Christ, to his service. Will you do the same? We're going to have a special prayer, a prayer of rededication. And I'm telling you this, my friends. Exercise your will today. If you are not yet baptized, and we're not going to have a baptism now, so it might be a relief to you. We're not going to have one now, but at some point in time, we would expect a baptism. If you would like to give your life to Jesus Christ for what he has done, just raise your hand. We may, we may, we may have a Bible worker here. Uh, just take note of that person. Just raise your hand. If at some point in time you want to be baptized, raise your hand. Uh, if you don't want to do that now, but you want to talk to someone, you can talk to me after the service. You can talk to one of the elders, one of the leaders here, and we will work with you. We will continue to study with you. Life is too serious. This is not a joke. At some point in time, uh, we're going to have to reckon with the reality that, 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 that we're going to die if Christ will not return in a given time. So we're going to pray now, and we're going to ask God as we rededicate our lives to him to come afresh into our lives. I'm going to kneel. If you'd like to kneel, you can do the same, and you can stand if you would like also.
Our Father in heaven, we started out this theme with the series pondering the path that you took to the cross. Oh, Jesus, you left everything that we can't even imagine and come to this sin-stricken world to offer your life in exchange that we might have eternal life. Oh, what love. Right now, Father, we feel real bad. We feel real bad. As a part of humanity, you coming here and we rejected you. Oh, Jesus. We see scenes where folks were hungry and you fed them. Mothers and fathers had children who were possessed with demons, Father, and you willingly healed them. Oh, Jesus, those who were inflicted with leprosy, that contagious disease, you touched them and healed them. You weren't afraid to embrace them. Lazarus was dead. Jairus' daughter was dead. You rose them both back to life. And Father, everywhere you went, your mercy was seen. And yet, Jesus, you could only find one, perhaps one on the way to help you carry your cross. Oh, Jesus, that person wasn't even a Jew. Surely the words are correct. You came unto your own, and your own received you not. Then you hung there on the cross. And we, Father, we were mocking you, making fun of you, that others you save, and yourself you can't. And Satan was jeering the mob, and we participated in asking you to come down from the cross to show that you have power. But Jesus, you hung there. I don't know, we just, we're sorry, Jesus, we're sorry. We're really, really sorry. And now you give us a second chance. You give us a second chance. Uh, there on the cross, you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And guess what? We're doing the same thing. You give us a second chance. Okay, we blew the first one, and we're doing the same thing with the second one. Oh, Father, we just we won't have a good life here. We, got, we, have, we have television. We have fine dining, good restaurants. We like big homes. We, just, we, we don't, we don't want to spend any time with you, Father. We're too busy. We want to watch Empire. We want to watch American Idol. We, we want to be entertained. We don't want to come to these meetings. They're not fun. The preacher is talking too serious, and we feel bad when we leave. We don't want to hear this. We want, you know, our, our, our conscience to be smooth. We want to hear smooth things. God, we ask you now to please help us. Help us to make the best of the opportunity that you have given us. The time is coming, we know, when you will say, it's done, you know, he that is filthy, let him be filthy still, and you will return to the clouds, Jesus. And if we are not ready then, it will be too late. Help us now, we pray. We ask you now to please give us the strength to exercise our will in the morning when you wake us up. I know, Father, I've tried this. I've asked you to wake me up in the morning when I'm tired, and you did I've done it repeatedly, and every time you wake me up, I know you'll do it. So, Jesus, I'm asking you when you wake me up in the morning, 
please help me to get up, wash my face, walk around the block, walk around the house, and spend some time with you. Help us, Jesus. I know that if we do this, this community will change. I know, Father, I know, I believe that saving grace can spark a fire that will illuminate South Florida. I know this, Father. You did it with 12. I know you can do it again. Help us. Jesus, we don't want to bog you down with anything else. All we want to ask you now, please, keep us, for we can't keep ourselves. Help us to make it throughout these the, the series of meetings. I pray, O oh God, that you'll hide me behind the cross. I pray that there will not be one sin in my life so that I will become a stumbling block to this cause. Forgive me, Jesus, Elder Brenton Harding, where I have sinned, so that you can speak through me, so that we can save this church, save the families, and help us to get back to solid, fundamental Christian living and change things here. I know you can do it. Be with us and save us, we pray. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is working through this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email at podcast at savinggracesda.org. As the Holy Spirit impresses you, you may also support this ministry financially by visiting savinggracesda.org.